Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast. My name is Joe Tillery. I am joined by Derek Duke. This is actually our first episode in two weeks. Based off uh, the last week here, we had some time away. Uh, I had some personal stuff going on and we had to miss an episode, but we are back to talk about the Big 12. And unfortunately, it was a bit of a tough week for the league, so we'll talk about that here going forward. But on that topic, whenever there's a tough week in the league, it's always a good time for a drink. Derek, I'll kick it over to you to hear what you're drinking and how you're doing tonight. Oh, man, Joe, doing pretty good. A uh, rough week for the Big 12. Uh, my last uh, went, went back home to visit the family this weekend, so going to be my last weekend here for a, for a while, probably till the New Year's, so I decided to come visit my folks uh, for a weekend. So tonight I am drinking a, a local brew. It's a Shiner Prickly Pear. I haven't seen this in about a month down here, so I was able to, to snag a 12-pack of it, so I, I popped one of them open for the podcast tonight. Hey, that sounds great on my end. I actually went straight up to the margarita route. I talked about it earlier in one of the episodes. So I'm going strawberry margaritas. You know, there's nothing wrong in life with a strawberry margarita. And that's what we're rocking with tonight. Nothing too crazy. Just got a pre-mixed one rocking. Uh, but I do want to talk about some games this weekend. We mentioned it. It was not a great week for the Big 12. We've kind of broken things up and you have a reoccurring series. I, I mean, series might not be the right word, but you write a story each week talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly from around the Big 12. If you're interested in checking that out, go ahead and check it out on heartlandcollegesports.com. Derek does a great job with that. We broke today's episode into that a little bit, so I want to start off here by talking about some of the big games and the major takeaways from this weekend. Kicking things off with Kansas State-Missouri, the 11 a.m. kickoff in Columbia. Well, it was definitely a tough one, Joe. I mean, boy, I mean, it was one of those 11 a.m. games that it would have been great to get a win to start off the Big 12 play, or excuse me, just the day for the Big 12, but unfortunately it didn't happen. Um, I thought at times Kansas State did a great job offensively. I thought Will Howard wasn't bad. I know some some people may be a little bit harsh on him, but three touchdowns, one pick, threw for 275, uh, 270 yards. Offensively, they rushed the ball okay. You know, there are a couple things here and there. Most importantly for me, for Kansas State defensively, their secondary got torched, man. I mean, it was really, really bad. And Kansas State's defense, I thought, was something that was going to be a strength. I knew they had, they had replaced a lot of guys in that secondary, but I didn't know it was going to be this bad this early on. So uh, Brady Cook from Missouri threw for over 350 yards on the day, and that, that Kansas State secondary was on their heels all game long. For me, that was a big issue. I also think that Kansas State might have played a little too conservative at times. And, hey, I, I've got to give credit to where credit's due because anytime you can kick a 61-yard field goal, I believe it was 61, wasn't it, Joe? Mm-hmm. 61. That to me, that that's insane. I've never seen anything like that to end a game that had shades of like Texas Tech, Iowa State from like two years ago. I can't remember the kicker's name for Texas Tech who just mm. drilled that one as time expired. But I mean, that was an SEC record kick, and hats off to the guy. I mean, he made a play at the end. Unfortunately, it just didn't go Kansas State's way. I guess if you can take a positive out of it, you know, last year you look at Kansas State, they lost to Troy in the non conference, they were able to get on a roll throughout the season and end up as the Big 12 champion. You know, I don't know if it's going to be a similar story this season. I sure, I sure hope so for Kansas State's sake. But it was a really tough loss in, in Missouri, you know. And I'll say this, and I don't know if it's popular or not. I don't know how people feel about Missouri. Some people don't even care. But I just cannot stand Eli Drinkowitz, and I really, <laughs> really wanted Kansas State to just throttle them. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. You're preaching to the choir on this one. I mean, I got to start off, 61 yards is ridiculous. And that is an unbelievable record. That won't be taken away from that kid at all. That's a huge kick. But as a coach, you let your team go out there and have a delay of game and move that try back from 56 and already super far kick to 61. I mean, that kicker saved Eli Drinkowitz to an extent in that game. And K-State didn't look their best. You know, I found out quickly 
on social media that Missouri fans were not happy with some stuff I had to say. So I kind of looked at the video, or excuse me, I kind of looked at the episode. Geez, what am I saying? I kind of looked at the game saying more of it took K-State playing kind of a C-minus type of day, C-plus type of day, and it took Missouri playing kind of an A-quality day. And I kind of got some absolute feedback saying that was not Missouri's best game and they will be significantly better. I'm not going to talk to that because I, I think this is going to be a massive game at the end of the season for Missouri. But K-State did not look their best. I mean, you mentioned it. The losses of Echo Boydo, you lose Julius Brents, both guys in the NFL now. Replacing two seniors in the secondary is not, a, not an easy task. And I mean, K-State just got exposed on the defensive side of the ball. I would say one thing going forward that kind of piques my interest to watch for K-State Will Howard had a significant limp, limp throughout the second half in the first, uh, somewhere along the, thir- the lines in the third quarter. Will Howard gets hit low and kind of comes up limping and doesn't look fully healthy. That could very easily be a game that, or that could be an injury that stretches on for a couple of weeks down the road. Don't want to prophesize that, but this UCF K-State game next week might feature a collection of backup quarterbacks with Timmy McClain taking on Avery Johnson or Jake Rubley, whichever direction they want to go with that. So obviously the loss sucks, and I think it would have been a much bigger momentum win and could have possibly, I mean, obviously you're not going to change many other games, but getting that first big win of the weekend, that's something you look for. But it was not not a great start for K-State in that one. But we got some other wins. We got some other wins down the stretch that we do want to talk about, some positives for the league. BYU taking on Arkansas. Not a ton of people gave them a shot in this one. Keaton Slovis, BYU gets it done. Derek, what do you think about that game? Boy, what a win for, our, or, excuse me, for BYU. That was a huge huge game for the Big 12 and a game that the conference desperately needed after a rough a rough afternoon. I mean, for any time a Big 12 team can go in an SEC environment and get a win, that's a big deal. You know, you, hopefully I wish that Kansas State could have got the job done and the Big 12 would have been 2-0 in these games, but unfortunately they didn't. Uh, I think for BYU, the thing that sticks out to me is BYU, to me, didn't even play their best game on Saturday, and they still were able to get, out, get away with it with a victory. Keaton Slovis was okay, didn't have a really good first half. I thought he made some plays in the second half through two two big touchdown passes. Excuse me. Chase Roberts had a ridiculous grab in the end zone in the fourth quarter as BYU took the lead. But, I mean, defensively, BYU definitely did not play their best game. They gave up some big plays, even gave up a punt return early. I mean, they were down 14-0 in this game within the first four minutes of play. And at one point I thought, man, is Arkansas going to blow this team out? Because I'm not so sure if BYU has the offense to make up for it. And they proved me wrong because they were fantastic. From that point on, I mean, they absolutely shut down uh, Arkansas at times. They, you know, got off the field when it mattered as well. For me, this was just a huge, huge victory. And, you know, for me, I, again, it's something that we weren't sure about BYU going in was the offense and defensively weren't sure going to be. A lot of people, including myself, picked them at the back half of the Big 12. But with the way this team's playing right now, the way, you know, 3-0, and I think they have a chance, maybe. I'm not saying they're going to get to Arlington, but I think they may be one of those sneaky Big 12 title contenders that we weren't talking about before the season. Yeah, I mean, they were impressive. That is, you know, that's not necessarily a secret. But I talked about it a little bit last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, where BYU needed to establish the run game in painful fashion. I mean, it was hard to watch. They had a true freshman running back out there in L.J. Martin, who was effective at times but definitely didn't have the full volume of carries that you would have hoped in that game. BYU actually got it done on the ground game. 77 77 rush yards, two scores on the day for the true freshman. That's a great day, and it's going to be massive for every team in the league to keep a run game established, especially going towards Big 12 play. Keaton Slovis, I mean, he wasn't lights out in this game, but he's had good games in the non-conference schedule already. It'll be interesting to see. They've got a really 
big game coming up against Kansas, who has also looked pretty dang good in the preseason, excuse me, not preseason, in the non-conference slate. It's going to be interesting to see where BYU goes from here, as I just don't know what their upside is, but getting a massive win over a team like Arkansas, that's a huge win. That already improves your stock overall, I would say, based off where Big 12 fans might have pegged BYU coming into the season. But I do want to move on here to the next game we've got. And this is one of the most historically great rivalries in college football. The backyard brawl in Morgantown. The crowd was electric. Derek, do you want to give us your rundown on the backyard brawl? Well, what a game it is. I mean, just beyond the score and what happened in the game, I'm just playing this game to me is a big, big deal. In a world of college football where you're seeing these rivalries go away, it's really refreshing to see that the, some of these rivalries are still intact and how much they mean to not only the fans but the schools and the players as well. I mean, this is what the backyard brawl is one of the best rivalries, rivalries in all of college football, and these two teams absolutely hate each other. Uh, on the get, you know, on as far as on the field goes, it was a very sloppy, as you know, WWE, you know, famous Jim Ross would like to say a slobber knocker because that's what this game really was. I mean, it wasn't very good to watch offensively. If you like defense, this was for you. Uh, I'm personally not a big defensive guy. I like to see some points on the board. I mean, West Virginia, think about this. West Virginia only threw for 60 yards between two quarterbacks, yet they won the game. By 11 points. That's insane. Uh, luckily for them, they had C.J. Donaldson put the offense on his back. He ran for 102 yards and a score. But, they, you know, thankfully for him, they didn't need much offense because the defense did a great job. They held Pitt to just 211 total yards on the day. And most importantly for me, this game for Neil Brown, I don't know if you got to see the video, Joe. Neil Brown at the end of that game, you know, he's smiling and hugging on his family. Was everybody singing country roads to end the game. That was really a really special moment, really cool to see from Neil Brown because, let's face it, the man has had a ton of heat for the last couple of years. You know, everybody's wanting him fired. People are talking about his job security. He's on the hot seat. You know, this, even if this is his last season in Morgantown, I guarantee you this may be his favorite win as the head coach of West Virginia. I agree for sure. I mean, Neil Brown has had some wins that you say, that's a really great win. He hadn't had one of those in a while. I would say that. This game was an absolute all-out grand attack from both teams. I mean, Pittsburgh ran the ball 16 of their first 17 plays. It was an absolute dogfight on the ground. And West Virginia found, like, they can win ugly. And I know that West Virginia isn't going to be a team that goes out there and scores five touchdowns and is an all-out air attack. But West Virginia had a great day overall. I mean, it wasn't, obviously, with uh, Garrett Green getting knocked, not knocked out, but getting taken out of the game early based off some leg injuries. Missed the game, unfortunately, but then you get a backup quarterback that steps in and knows his assignment, knows the job. And the other thing, I mentioned this in the three thoughts post-game wrap-up. C.J. Donaldson had, I think, 18 carries in this game, which is a chunk. Don't get me wrong, that is a chunk of carries. The only time that West Virginia wouldn't continue to move the ball forward is when they're dropping back to pass. You know, first and 10, we're dropping back to pass. You take a sack, then you can't run the football as much. I mean, you just can't. They could have pounded the ball four or five more times, and I think absolutely would have hammered Pittsburgh in that sense. But either way, it's a great game, man. You feel the energy watching from the TV. If you were there in person, I know I wasn't. I assume you know, you're back with the family. I'm not sure where you're at. But the people on that TV had so much fun. It was so good to get that energy back to Morgantown. That is a great thing to see. And it was a good win for the Big 12. I mean, Pitt coming off a loss against Cincinnati. Only a one-score game. You don't know how much is going into that. But it's still a great win for the Big 12. And especially on a weekend where we didn't get a ton of wins, that was a good one to look at. Now moving on to a game between two Big 12 teams. 
That face first conference game of the year. First conference game of the year. Kicking things off. TCU versus Houston. Coming to this game, Dana Holgerson's squad hasn't had much praise through this point. They haven't looked great. Obviously, you lose a game against Rice. That's probably a little bit telling in this sense. TCU drops their opener to Colorado, gets back on track. They're seeming to figure things out. What do you think of the first Big 12 game of the season, Derek? Well, since it's between two Big 12 teams, I'll kind of break it into two parts here. And I guess I'll go with the positive part part first for TCU because they they dominated Houston in this game. I mean, they went down there. They stole the whole freaking show. Chandler Morris threw for over 300 yards. The ground game was working as well. They rushed for over 250 yards by Amon Bailey. And TCU's defense, I will say, since that Colorado game, they've looked a whole lot better. They kept Houston out of the end zone for four quarters, which was really impressive. And for me, this game was all about Houston. You know, this was Houston's – I don't know if there's their homecoming, but essentially it was because this was their first Big 12 home opener. So this is a big deal, unfortunately, which I'll get to here in a minute. You know, the fans, it wasn't really a packed house, but I felt like on national TV, TCU really, really stole the show here. And kudos to them because they deserve to win that game hands down. As far as Houston goes, I am – I wrote this in my article this morning. I almost had a loss for words for this team. The defense was awful. They gave up over 500 yards. The offensively, they couldn't score a touchdown. I mean, Donovan Smith, while he had his moments in the like the first half of that UTSA game in the, in the opener, he has looked like a shell of himself since that game. I don't know what's going on with him, but, I mean, this is not the guy that we saw at Texas Tech a year ago. Uh, and the, up front, they just got absolutely manhandled it. In every phase of the game, they got beat. They got dominated. I don't think there's any other way to put it. I, I wrote that TCU literally went down to Houston, stole their lunch money, and went back to Fort Worth because that's the best way I can describe it. And I'll, I'll say this, and you know, I don't know how much flack I'll get for it, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of Houston fans that are going to agree with me on this, but Dana Holgerson at some point needs to be held accountable. And I get it. He's had the backing at Houston for the last couple of years, and he's gotten to do a whole lot of things he wants. They're putting a ton of money in that program as far as resources and facilities go. They're putting money in, and they are getting absolutely crap out of it. They're getting nothing. I mean, the excuses that are coming out of Houston from Dana Holgerson's mouth are just they're, – I'm, they're, I'm shocked because it's like nobody is holding them accountable whatsoever. And I, and I understand it from a media standpoint. You can't really say a whole lot to the guy because he'll just flip his top, you know, He'll just lose it. But, you know, maybe he needs to lose it on this team or say something because they lose to Rice last week, which was flat-out embarrassing. And then they get embarrassed on national television against TCU in front of the whole country. After the game, this is for, this is an actual quote from Dana Holgerson. After this game, not acceptable, bad offense, thought we took a step in the right direction last week. They lost to Rice last week. What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I, I don't know. I I, I'm almost like this Dana Holgerson thing. I'm just almost done with it. I, you know, I'm going to give it a few more games for his sake. But there's nothing positive going on for Houston right now as a football program because the, if they're going to keep playing like this, they might they might win one conference game this season, and that I, that might be a push. Yeah, I agree. I think you said it. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And touching on that, I mean, you got to think about that quote specifically. One that is classic Dana to hear, but still like. Hearing him say the offense is bad, my brother, you are directly responsible for that. You have a hand in that, man. And I know you might not be the guy calling the plays immediately, but you are directly responsible for everything that happens on that field. You're the head coach. This is your squad. Houston has looked awful. 
And outside of that Rice game, I mean, they lost to Rice, which is embarrassing enough. But they scored, you know, what, 45 points in that game. It was something 45, 48, something along those lines. I could be wrong on that front, but it was a lot of points against an inferior opponent. Houston has hardly scored any points. I mean, it's been embarrassing to this point. I don't think they've broken 30 in total outside of that Rice game between two games against against Houston, or excuse me, against TCU and UTSA. Actually, they're, they're 30 on the nose, 13 and 17. What's crazy about this, and it's not even necessarily as much about TCU. I think you could probably find something to talk about with TCU and say, yeah, that's good or that's not good. But realistically, they're taking on Sam Houston State. They held BYU to 14 points in week one. This is a losable game. This is absolutely a losable game. And it doesn't get any easier from there. You take on Texas Tech, they're going to beat you. They're going to beat you, at least fight you to the end, if for some reason Houston can pull off a miracle. Then West Virginia, who's got a tough defense. I mean, they're not moving the football on West Virginia's defense. Then you've got Texas, Kansas State, Baylor. I mean, there's not an easy game on Houston's schedule. None of these games are easy. I don't know. I think something will... It'll have to change sooner rather than later because this season is just going to be. You can jump in. I'll say this, Joe. I'll say this, Joe. If Dana Holgerson and Houston, if they lose to Sam Houston next week, he should be fired. There's no way they should even let Dana back in the building at all because that's how many more Houston schools you're going to lose to. They want to play a junior (laughs) college and lose to that because that's unacceptable. I mean, they already lost to Rice. If they lose to Sam Houston next week, just fire the man. At at this point, you've got to cut bait and move on. I tell you what, when they play, uh, when they play Houston's greater uh, community college somewhere there, it might be a pick game at this point. That's where we're at at this point in the season. Uh, I do want to move on here next. Houston's not looking great. We'll move on off that topic. But, yeah, that was a, a pretty apparent thing to watch for the first Big 12 game. Let's talk a little bit here, changing the tone a little bit. Some games that weren't as close. I mean, there were games that were blowouts, and there were games that you completely expected to be blowouts. That's what happened between Baylor and LIU. Not really going to compete with Baylor in this case, but I want to hear if you had any specific takeaways from this game. Wasn't a ton, but there was some stuff to focus on. So let's hear what you had to say about Baylor Long Island. You know, no matter how ugly a win is, I guess a win is a win. And that's kind of how you have to chalk up this one for Baylor. There was a weather delay. The game was only 16-7 to at halftime. And I will be the first to admit that I had no idea that Long Island even had a football team. And the fact that Baylor was only up 16 to 7 at halftime is embarrassing. You know, not quite as like Houston embarrassing, but it's pretty darn close to embarrassing. Thankfully, in the second half, they got the rushing attack going. They ran, ended up running for over 270 yards on the ground. Um, this, for one of the, for Baylor, for what it is at this point, I guess you just take them as you can get them because after no 2 start to the season, they, they had to get this win. Um, was not pretty by any means. I don't think there's anything here for Baylor to really feel good about going into conference play because I think even you know throughout the first three games, this has just been one of those things where you just pray and hope that you're going to survive the season because right now this is a Baylor team that I see going to have a lot of trouble uh, trouble once Big 12 play comes here next week. I definitely agree, and I got to be you know I'll be candid with this one. This is a game I half watched. I mean, it wasn't the game I circled on the slate and said oh, I got to watch this game. We'll see how Baylor does. But when you look through the box score and you look through things, Sawyer Robertson, obviously, Robertson isn't exactly, you know, it's not your starting guy. Blake Shapin obviously out, and I think he's out for the next maybe two weeks or so. We'll see how he gets back, or when he does for that matter. Yeah, you go 10 right. of 22 for 113 yards and a score. That's not a great day against Long Island University. I can never name, I can, I can never name any player that plays for that team 
I can't ever name you an alumni. I can't tell you who their coach is. There's not, I can't tell you who their colors are or what their colors are outside of their logo. I mean, LIU isn't a school that I look at and say, eh, they'll do anything here. Baylor should have absolutely put up 50 on this team. They didn't. And I'm not going to hold it over them and say, oh, it's a mistake. But I wonder this, because I kind of talked about it the last couple of weeks. Richard Reese, he goes 12, 12 carries in this game for 82 yards and two scores, averaging 6.8 a carry. I can't knock that. But to this point, and maybe he's still banged up. I'm not sure what his situation is right now, but he's expected to be one of the better backs in the Big 12 and hasn't immediately jumped off the tape. Their competition hasn't been incredible. I mean, that's Texas State, that's LIU they're playing. They haven't played many great defenses, and Reese has struggled to this point. I don't see their rushing attack developing much more beyond what it is right now, and that's not a great look as you're heading towards Big 12 play. And if you want to comment on that, you're, you're more than welcome to, but it's just it's a little bit concerning to me when the focal point of your offense is not looking great. Obviously, you rush for 200 yards in this game, but it's also LIU, so it's something to take with a grain of salt. That was kind of my main takeaway here is the rushing attack is, you know, it's leaving me he- scratching my head. Bad offensive line. Bad offensive yeah. line play. And we're seeing that across uh, the board for a lot of these teams. And I think Baylor kind of falls in that category. And when you combine that with a backup quarterback, you know, not you're not going to expect a whole lot from this team until mm-hmm. Blake Shapin. I think it really shows just how sh- how sh- much Shapin should be appreciated in this offense. And I know Shapin's had his up and down moments. But without him, they look like a completely different team and in a much worse way. Definitely. I agree with you there. And I, the hard part is, I mean, that's why you're starting quarterbacks injured. Not obviously, you can't always chalk it up that way, but that guy's getting hit just about every passing down. That's really the issue with this team. But I do want to move on here to the next game. Now, you, I, know, I know you were in on this game, watching this game. The game that featured a field goal that may have gone in, Iowa State and Ohio. What a wild occurrence on Saturday. What a wild game to be a part of. 10-7, final score, Ohio taking down Ohio, uh, excuse me, Iowa State. Derek, what did you think about this game? Well, it made me want to definitely poke my eyeballs out. It was definitely a hard game <laughs> to watch. That's for that's for sure. I mean, we don't even need to talk about Iowa State's defense. I mean, they held Ohio to 10 points. They did their they did their job, and I, I keep harping on this, but Iowa State's defense is like a Big 12 championship caliber defense. Their offense – is like a two-win offense, if that makes sense. And when you combine the two, it, it just it's not good. So that's that's kind of what Iowa State is right now. And I know a lot of people, when we're talking about offense for Iowa State, are going to point at Rocco Beck and saying that they need to make a quarterback change. But for me, I think Rocco's kind of gotten better. I think he looks more comfortable. He's more efficient out there. The stat sheet's going to show that he threw two interceptions. One of those was not his fault. On the final drive, Iowa State's trying to go down the tire, win the game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, the ball just bounces right off the receiver's hands and it ends up getting picked off and Ohio just has to kneel it and that was game over. But he's just not getting any help out there. I mean, let's start with the offensive line for them, much like Baylor. They, Iowa State may have the worst offensive line in the Big 12, and that's really saying something. Joe, they rushed 23 times. They averaged 1.7 yards per carry against the MAC team. That's just – it's unacceptable, and no matter what – Matt Campbell said after the game, and I'll get to Matt Campbell after the game here in a second. But <laughs> after the game, you know, after the game, Matt Campbell said that it was flat out embarrassing and it was just a lack of physicality. And that's exactly it. It is. It's he's right on the money about that because throughout these first few games, Iowa State has not been able to run the football. Last year, they had the worst rushing offense in the Big Twelve. They're averaging like eighty yards a game. They were like twenty yards below the next, the next, well, second to last, I think, which was Kansas, but. 
they can't run the football. You have a first-year starting quarterback. That is a recipe for disaster. Oh, and then on top of that, your receivers are just dropping passes left and right. So there's nothing There's nothing going on for this offense right now. And I think they do have some weapon. And I, it's not because of a lack of playmakers. I think they have some with Jalen Noel and the tight ends, uh, Bramer. So I think they have a couple guys that are capable of doing the job. But right now they're just not clicking and they're not on the same page. I think something's going to have to change uh, for them offensively. I know they have a new offensive coordinator with Nate Shieldhouse, but they need to find a way to get their playmakers the ball quickly because the run game's not working. So you're going to have to revert to a shorter passing game to kind of compensate for that because something, something's got to change offensively. And and until that does, it's going to be a long season for Iowa State. There's if they're going to win this year, it's going to be very ugly and sloppy wins. As far as the field goal goes, it should have been a tie game. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Chase Contreras when he kicked that. It did go over the over the upright, but for me, it kind of snuck in at the last second there to the right. Uh, unfortunately, they're not able to replay that when a kick goes over the goalpost. But at the same time, shouldn't that be when replay is available when something like that so we can take a look at it and get the call right? I felt like Iowa State got snubbed there. Either way, uh, still just an ugly loss. And then I'm sure everybody saw the video where the fan was yelling, told Campbell he was on the hot seat and – and Campbell kind of fired back at him, you know, kind of charging him up. So to me, that's just stupid. And anybody that is questioning Matt Campbell right now and saying he's on the hot seat, they just, people need to realize where this program was before he took it over and understand how many young guys over the last two years have had to play. Not only that, not only did you lose Brock Purdy and all those guys from two years ago, then on top of that, you had a bunch of brand new faces last year. And then you have a gambling investigation thrown in the mix where players got suspended to kick off the team. So, there's just a lot going on in Ames right now, and I feel bad. I feel bad for the fans of Matt Campbell, but you know you got to get these young guys in, get them ready, and I think you start trying to just find something positive this year to kind of move on, move on from this, and kind of separate yourself from all this stuff going on. Yeah, I 100% agree, and I think immediately, like this has always baffled me to an extent, whether it be college football or NFL football, high school football. Obviously, there's less. You know, it's not really replay systems at that level, but why aren't certain things reviewable? The kick graced over the upright and in. I mean, that's one where if he puts it on the upright, there's a good chance that bounces off and in. That is literally the definition of what should be a reviewable thing. Hey, did that kick go in? Let's just go double check. We'll check the camera, make sure it's in. It's the same reason you look to see if a lateral is going forward or backwards. You got to show the replay, see where the line of scrimmage is. Let's just double check. We think it's going forward. Let's check if it's going back. That's a quick and easy thing to say. Okay, that's in. Nah, it's not in. That's a blasphemous thing for them not to take a look at. I know that that's not the case and that's not how it works, but football's got to adapt to an extent in some of those areas. And I'll ask you this, and I don't mean to put you on the spot because this could be a loaded question. On the topic of Matt Campbell and the hot seat, I'll touch on that in a second. Who's the best coach in the Big 12 in your opinion? Without thinking about it too heavily, who's your best coach in the Big 12? Boy, you put me on the spot here. I think you kind of have to think about it here for a second because I, I would probably still say Chris Kleiman is probably my coach. My, I don't want to say he's my favorite coach, I guess, but he to me, he's the most accomplished coach. He probably sticks out to me the most just because of what he's built at Kansas State. And, you know, him winning a Big 12 title last year really kind of cemented his status as a, an upper tier coach in this conference. And I think right now, at this very moment, I still think it's Chris Kleiman because when you look across the board, I mean, who else would you really put above him? I, you know, I don't. You know, one could have made an argument for Mike Gundy, and we're, you know, unfortunately, we're going to get to Oklahoma State here in a bit. But just with the way the landscape of the Big Twelve right at this moment, I think you'd have to say 
it's still Chris Kleiman, you know. And, and, you know, to be fair, they are still the reigning Big 12 champions. Yes, and I'll say this. I agree with you. But my thought process here, and Matt, Cam- Matt Campbell should not be on the hot seat. If you input Chris Kleiman in this team with the exact same gambling situation, everything here, the guy has to absolutely struggle to win games. And I don't mean to say that's anything reflection-wise on Chris Kleiman or Matt Campbell for that sake, but that's a situation that every coach in America would have a hard time dealing with. You lose some of your starting players two weeks before the season kicks off, a month before the season kicks off, and maybe they might have known about it for longer than the actual situation is, but Iowa State right now, this roster isn't looked at and said, you know what, that's a seven-win team right now. That's not how this team's viewed. And I know that it's a close game. I know that it's a heartbreaking loss, but it's painfully obvious that it's frustrating. But it shouldn't mean that Matt Campbell's in the hot seat. So some fans will look at that video and say, well, Campbell should have done that. He should have kept walking. Some fans are the exact opposite and say, I love that he's fired up. I love that he's pissed off. That's just a wild situation to see. I mean, Matt Campbell has seemed like not even disinterested. That's not even the way I'd say, but just that he has zero time for that type of antics. And then seeing him react, like Iowa State, it's a frustrating situation right now for everybody involved. And you lose a game like that where there's multiple things that could have happened differently. That was a big takeaway. That game was a big takeaway. I don't think it changes anything, but... Anyone who's saying that Matt Campbell's on the hot seat has to realize that their favorite coach or the coach they think is the best, flip that role, they're not in the hot seat. It's the same situation. You're not expected to win and get to a bowl game this season. You're not expected to take things in another direction from here. This is kind of your starting fresh point, which is what I'd say going forward. And I know that that doesn't encapsulate everything that happened on the field, but it's not a game where I look at them like, this is a horrible thing for the program, horrible thing for the, for the state of the Big 12. I know that I'm not trying to advocate all the time for a MAC team, but Ohio's one of the better teams in the MAC. They've got some yeah. studs out there. They've got potential guys that can be senior bowl guys, and in certain cases could go on to be NFL players. So I don't know. I kind of I was a little riled up about the Matt Campbell hot seat stuff. The guy's not on the hot seat, and I know you agree. I know that a lot of us agree in the industry, but there is a chunk of people out there that are disagreeing, and I just I find that crazy to an extent. I mean, he's he's the best coach in Iowa State football history. The guy knows what he's doing. Won't be an issue going forward. Obviously, there's going to be games like this down the road. But that was kind of my main takeaway. I thought it was an interesting thing to watch. And I'll move off this. I'll pivot to the next game here. Another weird game for very much different reasons than the previous reasons. The Cincinnati Bearcats taking on Miami, Ohio. Derek, that ending was crazy. I don't know what all you saw from that game. But if I could ask you here, what do you think of that? Just the entire game. But what do you think specifically the ending as things are winding down? Yeah, um... Madness. I mean, if you really think about it, I I guess if you're a Cincinnati fan, you really wish that that game wasn't as close as it was because the fact that Cincinnati had to go down there and try to win the game to begin with was was bad enough. And Cincinnati did some great things in this game. They did some bad things here. Uh, I mean, they ran for over 273 yards on the day. They had two guys. Emory Jones rushed for over 100 yards. Ryan Montgomery went for over 100 yards. However, and this was kind of a, a concern I had going into the season with Jones is his passing ability. It's still not there. He's not the drop back passer that you would want to see. He's not a guy that when the game's on the line, you're going to be like, yep, this guy's going to throw the winning touchdown for me. I still have a ton of question marks about him. You know, athletically, he's about as gifted as anybody out there when it comes to running the football. But, you know, for his position, he's got to be able to throw the football too. He wasn't accurate on Saturday. He threw two, two interceptions as well. So I'm not going to say all the, all the blame should be put on him, but he was certainly a big part of it. Um, and I will say that that fourth and that fake punt that they did on their what own 26 yard line in that final drive, 
that was a very ballsy call by Scott Satterfield. And I tip my cap to him because that was a hell of a call. Uh, unfortunately, their field goal was blocked. I thought they were going to win it uh, with these, but their field goal was blocked. And then they just couldn't get the job done in overtime. Uh, you know, this was Miami, Ohio. So I think first win in like 17 years over Cincinnati. I think it was all the way back in the first year in the Big East. But just kind of one of those for Cincinnati, you kind of have to move on from uh, – kind of take the loss and try to learn from it. It's, it's a long season ahead of you. Um, first, you know, if I had to say that they were going to lose a game in, in a non-conference play, I didn't think this was going to be one. But, uh, you know, they got Oklahoma next week. So this they better uh, kind of get back to the drawing board and figure some things out because if they play like this against Oklahoma, uh, they're going to get blown out. It's definitely one of those games where you want it to end in a win, especially right after – I mean, they announced college game day was heading that way. Or, excuse me, is it Big Noon kickoff? I think it's game day, yeah? I think it's Big Noon Kickoff. Big Noon Kickoff. Okay, let me make, let me fix that next time. For Big Noon Kickoff, they announced that about 3 o'clock in the day. I mean, it was one of those where as it gets closer, you got to win that game. You want to win that game. First win in 16 years in the series between Miami, Ohio, and Cincinnati. It ended in a freak fashion. And even though they, the Bearcats didn't come out on the winning end, I think that the fan base learned a lot more about Scott Satterfield. I know that I, as kind of an impartial fan just watching for the league, I had a lot more respect, and you mentioned the, the, the call. I mean, Scott Satterfield showed me, like, hey, this experiment could work. This experiment has legs. There's going to be things going in the right direction from here. Cincinnati still isn't where you want them to be. Obviously, it's not all sunshine and rainbows as you're joining the Big 12, but immediately in your first year, that is. I don't want to specify for, like, the next decade or put some cloud over them, but it's kind of crazy to see what's happened in the first couple weeks. Cincinnati's played close games. They've had a blowout game where Emory Jones threw for – seven touchdowns, or excuse me, six total touchdowns. It was ridiculous in that game. There's been already some highs and some lows. This is a heartbreaking loss either way, but Cincinnati's got a big game coming up. Oklahoma looks good, and granted, they haven't played anybody ridiculous in the first non-conference games, but we're going to learn a lot about both Oklahoma and Cincinnati here this coming up week, and I'm excited for it. Great choice by Big Noon Kickoff. I think it'll be a great game to follow, but let me move on to the next one here, heading in the next direction. OSU South Alabama. One of the biggest disappointments of the weekend. 33-7 to loss. One of the worst in Mike Gundy's tenders, tenures. What do you think about this game? What were your immediate takeaways from OSU South Alabama? You know, Joe, there, there's some games that happened, and it's just – I don't know what to say because this, <laughs> to me, was maybe the most embarrassing Big 12 loss I can remember in a while. And this was the, by far to me, this was the most embarrassing loss of Mike Gundy, Gundy's tenure. And he's been coaching what for almost 20 years now. I mean, it is mind boggling what happened. I mean, Oklahoma state didn't just get beat. They got dominated by a team from the Sunbelt. They got dominated 33 to seven by a Sunbelt team. I, offensively, I've said it, you know, I said this in week one after week one that, they're still trying to do this three-quarterback system. I don't understand it. I don't know how you, after three weeks now, you're going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to keep rolling with three guys because, to me, it doesn't make any damn sense. Alan Bowman looks awful. He should have never been out there after that. The first time he got a chance to to go out, he should have never came back in that game. I think at this point you have to go with Rangel or, or Gunnar Gundy. I don't care which one it is because both of them right now, to me, look like they are better than Alan Bowman. And this is no disrespect to Bowman, but he should not touch the field again this season. I mean, 
they have to pick a quarterback. This whole open tryout thing that they're doing, they're doing it during live games, and it does not work. Like, it may have worked against Arizona State and Central Arkansas, which, by the way, they almost lost to Central Arkansas. They didn't dominate, or, or that wasn't an easy game for Oklahoma State, and neither was Arizona State. They squeaked by both of those opponents. And then finally, they ran into South Alabama, who didn't play any games, and they just they got their butt kicked. There's no, I'd like to use some some different words here for Oklahoma State, but I'm trying to keep this thing civil. But I, I just don't understand what they're doing. Their offensive line is just so bad. I mean, it is so bad, and has been a problem for years for this program. I mean, they're at a point where two years ago, where this offense was bad, but their defense was able. They they were so good on defense where. It didn't matter. They were still able to win those games. Now you just have a bad offense and you have a bad defense. I mean, South Alabama ran for over 240 yards on the ground. I just – how do you explain that? It's defensive. Like, South Alabama just ran for 240 yards on you. I mean, that's inexcusable, and I'm sick and tired. I'm, it's kind of like with this Dana Holgerson thing. Like, Mike Gundy, like, at some point – they have to hold them accountable because some of these losses, like the last two years in Stillwater have been awful. And I'll say this, Casey Dunn is the offensive coordinator. And I, I'm about ready to say, you know, Charlie Dickey, the former Kansas state offensive line coach, and now the Oklahoma state offensive line coach, he should have been fired two years ago. I mean, there's nothing about this program that is trending in the right direction over the last two years. Not one thing is going right for this program. And th- this is just a, this may be the worst Oklahoma State team I've seen since 2005 when Mike Gundy first his first year there in Stillwater. I mean, there's – I don't know. I don't know, Joe. I, I can't really talk about it because it just gets my blood, <laughs> blood boiling. But I, I will say this, and I wrote it in my article. I just wish I had the level of job security as some of the people on Mike Gundy's staff because <laughs> I, that means I can literally do anything I want and never get fired. You know, that's a great point. I think, uh, I think everybody should aspire for that level of job security. What blows my mind about this game is that I looked at the previous week, and I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it's a great win, you know, with Arizona State. But I looked at that game and I said, you know, even though the three-quarterback thing is horrible, weird, and awful, this helped us get a little bit of a leg up on the competition. Mike Gundy won a game. He's proven that he's at least trying. Things are going in the right direction. To run that up a little bit, Arizona State paid Fresno State to come to their home stadium and they lost 29 to 0. They didn't score against Fresno State. And here I was sitting there thinking, you know what? They kept Arizona State. I know they got a true freshman quarterback, but it was a competitive game. Good for Mike Gundy, who's running three quarterbacks at this point. They still found a way to win that game. That's actually impressive. Now you sit here and look at this. South Alabama might be the best team they've played in the non conference schedule. And that's crazy to me. Also, what's crazy to me here, Ollie Gordon, if you have a guess at his stat line, Three carries for 12 yards. Embarrassing. That's embarrassing. You're exactly right. That is embarrassing. They have to run the football. And I'll tell you this. I, obviously, I don't think Bowman's the guy. I won't be the guy to go to, Al, go to bat for Alan Bowman. Whether it be Garrett Rangel or Gunnar Gundy, I don't even care at this point. Get somebody out there so the receivers aren't messed up with the timing, so that the linemen aren't jumping off at different cadences. Get somebody as the starter so everybody can practice accordingly. But if you want to make life easier for a quarterback, for a young quarterback, or even just an inexperienced quarterback, run the damn ball. That's what you have to do. And he didn't do that. You couldn't establish a run game. You were dominated on offense and defense. That was a horrible look. Not just for the Big 12, but for Mike Gundy. 
I mean, a guy who's been at the league's top coaching position. You've been a guy that everybody has kind of unanimously said, he's a really good coach. He's doing a great job at Oklahoma State. Look what he's done for their national relevance. Look what he's done for the Big 12. That was a horrible performance. That was an awful game to watch. There was not one positive takeaway I had from that game. Moving on here. We'll run through some quick hitters. I feel the same way about you. I can't talk about that game for too long, otherwise I'll get a little too heated. But Texas and Wyoming, a game on the Longhorn Network, which I am not a member of. But I want to talk about this game. It was closer than a lot of people thought. I want to give a shout-out to our boss, Pete Mundo. He had this as an absolute lock for the week for Wyoming to cover the 28-point spread in this game. And for the first half, the game was 10-10, 10-7. Absolute nailed by Pete Mundo. That was a great pick. But let's hear your thoughts on Texas-Wyoming. Well, the good news about that, Joe, is that it was on Longhorn Network, and maybe not a whole lot of people around the country were paying attention. (laughs) Because until the fourth quarter, you didn't know. I didn't know who was going to win this game because it was tied going in the fourth quarter. Uh, Luckily for the Longhorns, they were able to get it done there because they were able to pull away. Jonathan Brooks had a monster day for 164 yards on the ground. Defensively, I thought they were just really good overall from start to finish. Even though it was a close game, the defense definitely did their job, and Shout out to Jerome Thompson, who had another pick six in back-to-back weeks. That kind of helped seal the deal for Texas. Um, I guess if there's really one positive takeaway is that they were kind of able to separate themselves late. They didn't They didn't get fall in one of these trap games like we've seen a couple other Big 12 teams do uh, so far this year. The run game was something we kind of pointed out after week one and after the Alabama game that was kind of an area of concern. So it was refreshing to see Texas finally be able to run the football because – that's another element of the offense that they not have not had this year. And especially when Quinn Ewers kind of struggled early on and he wasn't able to hit his targets like Xavier Worthy, it was really good for them to kind of get that going. That was just the right t- right place, right time for the run game. So, uh, again, really close game, but at the end, Texas survived. And I don't know, maybe they're reading too much in the press clippings of the, after the Alabama game. And speaking of Alabama, like, how good is Alabama now? So how good is this win that Texas had against Alabama? So a lot of questions still have to be answered. I agree. I mean, running through it, Quinn Ewers' stat line in this game, I, you know, I'm a big stat line guy, but also it's not the end of the world if it's that bad. Quinn Ewers goes 11 of 21 for a buck 31 and two scores. That's fine and dandy. They were not very lethal through the air, and I know you had a back that goes 21 carries for 164 yards, but Quinn Ewers did struggle early against Wyoming secondary, and Wyoming, you know, they're not the worst. They beat Texas Tech, and I know that Texas Tech kind of imploded to start off the season, but... Wyoming was solid on the back end, and that gave Quinn Ewers and Texas some issues. I think Texas's defense is really impressive. That's the biggest takeaway from that for me. But Ewers has these moments occasionally, these lapses, I would say, where he'll go through a stretch where he's not completing a pass, he's not getting anything down the field. There's teams in the Big 12, and I'm not going to even look at teams at the top of the league like a Texas Tech. In theory, in theory, this is all in theory, teams like an Oklahoma, a Texas Tech, or a Kansas State, wherever you want to go with that, there's teams in the Big 12 like West Virginia who, yes, they're probably going to end up near the bottom. Their defense is too good to go through those type of stretches. That will really put you in a bind. You know, Dave Aranda, I know that Baylor has looked just awful through the non-conference to an extent, but that defense is going to be good enough to give you some fits. I mean, more than Wyoming should to an extent. That would be kind of my takeaway. Obviously, the game against Alabama is big for the program, but you saw giving up five sacks to USF in this game. You never know how big that win is, but I don't know. I mean... Didn't have a ton of takeaways, but it's an interesting one. They've got Baylor on the road in Waco here to kick off Big 12 play, so we'll probably learn a lot more about both teams going forward. Oklahoma and and Tulsa. It's a game in Oklahoma. 
game that a lot of people tuned in for. Um, I don't know. Oklahoma kind of did their thing, and I'll bounce this off of you and hear what you thought about the game, but you kind of get what you expect for an extent to an extent with the non-conference schedule that Oklahoma set up. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this game and if you had anything that you really learned much from. The non-conference schedule for Oklahoma was about as soft, soft as a roll of Charmin. I mean, <laughs> it, nothing, you know, for me, 66-17, you didn't learn a whole lot. I mean, they did what they should. They thumped Tulsa um, in a big way. Dylan Gabriel looked pretty good, uh, threw for over 400 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, they had three receivers for Rook Anderson and Anthony go over uh, 100 yards through the year. So defensively, they got a lot of turnovers. They got five turnovers. That was kind of refreshing to see for them defensively because that's an area of concern that we kind of had going into the year because last year they had a hard time getting stops, turnovers, whatever it may be. So this is kind of a new look to revamp Brent Venable's defense. So really good to see the kind of uh, for them to hold Tulsa. Uh, under 20 points and you know i will say this it was in tulsa they didn't play it at home so that kind of made it a little bit better as well yeah i agree i mean you don't take away an immediate thing saying oh this is a great thing this is a great thing but i think you see a lot of people and there's a couple of teams in the big 12 that kind of could fit into this category obviously this week that texas and oklahoma are the only two teams in the ap poll which i still think kansas state probably should have snuck in somewhere in the 20s getting dropped from 15 to not on the list is kind of confusing to me and even teams like Kansas have a case to be up in the top 25. But there's teams like that that had, I mean, Texas probably should, Texas should not be included in this conversation. I apologize. I'll just reference Oklahoma for this sake. They had the easiest non-conference schedule of any team in the league to an extent. Obviously, there's probably places you could argue that with. Oklahoma did what they're supposed to do. I mean, that's the takeaway. You don't want to see any hiccups. You don't want to see any setbacks. You don't want to see any injuries. None of those things happened. Everybody looks good. I can't tell you if this team's going to go and, head to Arlington based off the first three games they've played. You're going to learn a lot more in the next couple of weeks. That's kind of my main takeaway. Dylan Gabriel looks good. Offensive line looks fine. Competition isn't one that I'd be too worried about destroying the offensive line, but that's kind of my main takeaway there. UCF Villanova with a backup quarterback in for the Knights. As John Reese Plumley, I think he's supposed to be sidelined through the Kansas game in two weeks if I had their schedule right. He's got, I think, two or three more weeks on the sideline after a leg injury against Boise State. They looked great, and I, I want to apologize. I did on Twitter already. I had an awful prediction for this UCF game. I think I had UCF winning 27-14, 27-17. It didn't work out that way. They scored 31 points in the first half, and they absolutely handed me my word. So that's my formal apology to UCF fans, but I'll let you jump in on the UCF game to start things off. Well, I'm sure UCF fans are a lot happier that they won by more than what you said, Joe. So that's yes, indeed. that's definitely a positive. I think you, you said it pretty much right there. Timmy uh, McLean, the backup. Threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Most importantly, he didn't turn the football over. Uh, Kobe Hudson, another big day, um, and they were great on the ground as well. 250 yards on the ground for the Knights' offense. So they just rolled through this game, and it was really nice to see that UCF didn't skip a beat offensively. Defensively, uh, they took care of business as well. Yeah, I mean, I kind of said my piece about, you know, I, I definitely let UCF fans down. So I, I heard heard about it on social media during that game. So I apologize. But – uh. Yeah, I mean, you saw what you want to see. You saw a confident backup quarterback that's capable of winning games. We'll learn a lot more here against Kansas State, depending on what happens. But defense looks good. Rushing game looks good. Team put up 600 yards of offense and is absolutely lights out right now. We'll see what happens when Big 12 play kicks off. But UCF definitely had a solid debut against Villanova. Texas Tech, Tarleton State. The Red Raiders getting back into the win column. Derek, what do you think about Joey McGuire's squad? I think you said it right there, Joe. Getting in the win column, that was big for Texas Tech after a 0-2 start. I think they can kind of 
breathe a little, breathe a little bit. They have a little bit of breathing room and breathe a sigh of relief because that's what Texas Tech seems to have needed after losses to Wyoming and Oregon to open up the season. But for me, this this was really kind of about the two quarterbacks. I know Tyler Shaw was somebody that <clears throat> Texas Tech's were fans were asking, is this really going to be the guy to lead us to where we want to go this year? And I think Saturday, he had an okay game. He split time with Baron Morton. I think neither guy really had to do a whole lot because thankfully because the running game, Texas Tech ran for over 220 yards in the ground, and they never really looked back because they jumped out to a 21-0 lead in the first quarter, and that was pretty much all she wrote in this one. Um, I, I think it's definitely interesting, Joey McGuire's comments saying after the game that Tyler Shaw is going to be their show, is going to be their number one quarterback moving forward because I think there was some kind of some controversy in Lubbock surrounding his status as, as QB1 because, again, so far throughout the season, he's kind of turned the football over. He didn't look great against Wyoming. Against Oregon, he had some really bad turnovers late that kind of cost him the game. So, for me, that's going to be something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It was an interesting situation with the quarterback room. I know that fans love what they see out of Baron Morton to an extent. Didn't play a ton in this game, but, you know, you didn't really have to. 41-3 in this game. My biggest takeaway is, thank goodness, they started handing the football off to Tosh Brooks. I have been so tired of watching this offense with the quarterback rushing 23 times in a game. And I know that you got to do what you got to do on the football field. But you've got a stud running back in Taj Brooks. Hand him the football. Let him go to work. 19 carries, 158 yards, averaging just under nine yards a carry. That's a great day. and That's a great thing to see. Maybe I'm not speaking for Red Raiders, Red Raiders fans and they want to see us just air the ball out all the time. But I'm excited to see them pound the ball and get something done in the run game. They had seven different players have a carry in this game. I know a couple of those are quarterback scrambling. But seeing the starting quarterback go for six carries rather than 19 for the running back, that's what you want to see going forward. You know, you'll see that change on a weekly basis, but that's a good thing to see that Taj Brooks still exists at this point in their offensive scheme. That's what you like to see. Final game on the slate here, Kansas and Nevada, a game that was surprisingly closer than a lot of people thought, including Vegas. I think it was listed at about a 21-point spread in this game. I could be wrong, but I feel like it was somewhere in that neighborhood. Kansas ends up getting a seven-point win against Nevada. Derek, what would you take away from this game? I covered this game, and at the same time, I was also trying to watch the Colorado-Colorado State game. And I'll say this one is definitely a lot closer, I think. I think the spread on this one was 24 when I wrote my preview on this. But, you know, Kansas kind of let Nevada hang around in there. And I will say that Nevada is not a very good football team because they cannot throw the football to save their life. But Nevada did get some things going on the ground. Jalen Daniels uh, back for a second game of the year because he sat out the opener due to a back injury. He also, I do want to mention, he got kind of shaken up in this game. Uh, luckily, he didn't really miss any any important time. He went 21 for 27 for almost 300 yards. Uh, for me, the star of that game was Devin Neal. He scored three rushing touchdowns on the day. So in a day and then on a Saturday where there were a lot of Big 12 upsets, Kansas, I thought, may have kind of was going to be that final nail in the coffin for a really bad day. And but fortunately, they were able to, to get out of Reno with the win. There definitely was a chance there late that Kansas' squad ends up losing that game which is a little bit nerve-wracking considering it's a 24-point spread. I mean, you said it. Devin Neal's a dog. Daniel Hillshaw, or Highshaw, excuse me, is a dog. They got some great things going in the rushing attack. Jalen Daniel's getting shaken up. I wouldn't anticipate that really going forward much in terms of health issues or anything like that. But you know that he's had some health issues in the past, so it's something to monitor as always. They did just enough to get the win. The defense looked good and bad at times. I know the rushing game, they struggled. There's some solid players in the secondary. They can figure things out. It's also partially related to the fact that Nevada, like you said, cannot throw the football and will not throw the football. 
it was a good takeaway. I, I don't know. It was a good game to watch, I guess, but it was one that you didn't necessarily want to be a good game. At least in my eyes, kind of thought that Kansas would handle business and step into that role of maybe a top six, top seven team a little bit more, but it just didn't happen. We'll learn more about Kansas going forward. Last things we want to touch about here. After all the games are done, we've talked about everything going on in week three. Looking ahead at week four, we have a list here of all the different spreads, and I'll let Derek jump in on some of those here. But, Derek, do you have some best bets or things to look at for week four? Yeah, I think uh, you want to start off, Joe, and just kind of read off the list for yeah, yeah. the listeners. Let me get through here. So, so we got Texas Tech minus three at West Virginia. That game's in Morgantown. BYU at Kansas. That's a seven-point spread in favor of Kansas. Oklahoma minus 11 at Cincinnati. Oklahoma State at Iowa State, minus three. Iowa State favored in that game. SMU at TCU, TCU a seven-point favorite. UCF at Kansas State, the Wildcats are favored by eight in that game. Texas Longhorns, 13-point favorites over the Baylor Bears. That's at Baylor. And then Sam Houston at Houston. Houston is a 14-point favorite in that matchup. I think for me, the, the kind of a couple of games that stick out, I could see Texas Tech covering in Morgantown. Uh, I will say, I don't know how the hell Kansas is a seven-point favorite uh, against BYU after their performance against Nevada, and especially after BYU's win against Arkansas on the road. So to me, that spread seems a little bit wacky. Oklahoma minus 11 at Cincinnati. I think I might like the Sooners by more than that. A couple more, you know, TCU, pretty good one here. I think I might see if they they could cover against SMU. Uh, Kansas State possibly against UCF. Texas minus 13 against Baylor is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Houston game that you, the last one you mentioned, I would not touch that one. And I'll bring up an interesting part, uh, stat, or excuse me, a line here that I didn't mention, but Oklahoma and Iowa State is at 30, I think it was a 35 and a half uh, over under on that game. So I would just absolutely hammer the under on that one. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. I think most sports fans see that and they're like, well, Neither team can do really anything on offense at this point in the season. you got three quarterbacks on one side and one with a lot of question marks around him on the other side. Iowa State minus three, Oklahoma State minus three, or plus three. I'll sit here and say this. I have no idea. If I had to pick a winner of that game, I have no idea what to tell you. Iowa State's got got the best defense in the game. That's about all I can give you advantage-wise. I can't really tell you much more than that. But I will touch on some of these games. I mean, I agree. I think Texas Tech in Morgantown could very easily win. But I also don't like what you've seen in the second half from Texas Tech this season. They've kind of let off the gas a little bit. West Virginia is a team you can't let off the gas. You saw it in the backyard brawl. Got to come out firing. Got to take it. Take advantage of that. You know, you mentioned BYU and Kansas. Seven-point spread seems like too many points. Absolutely seems like too many points. And maybe it's the odd makers just kind of having a case of like, well, Kansas can actually, you know, defend the pass. Can't really defend the run as much. BYU doesn't run the football as much as they do pass the football. I don't know. I mean, there's games on this slate that I I look at and kind of have some questions about. I would touch on this, and I'll kind of touch into locks of the week here before I give some general light feelers. If you want to go for, I think I went first last week, so maybe maybe I ought to let you go first. If you've got one ready that you feel great about. If not, I'll jump in. I'm putting a stamp on Oklahoma minus 11 at Cincinnati. I think Oklahoma covers that one. After watching Cincinnati last week, I I think – I don't trust Emory Jones to throw the football in this game if they get down, and I think the Sooners are more than talented enough offensively to get the job done against Cincinnati's defense, um, which hasn't been bad, but they aren't great either at the same time. So uh, I've been rolling a lot with Oklahoma on these podcasts as far as betting goes because, I mean, they they had a really soft non-conference, but my lock of the week for me is going to be Oklahoma minus 11 at Cincinnati. Give me the Sooners. I think that's a good pick. I would say this. 
because I looked at the Kansas State UCF line. The health of Will Howard matters, but I'm going to stay away from that game just because I don't know enough yet. UCF has looked really good against their competition, and Kansas State obviously struggled against Missouri, but that was not your best showing. The home field advantage matters, but I'm going to I'm going to stay away. That would be my second pick in this game to talk about that one. Give me TCU minus seven against SMU. There has been so much trash talk from these fan bases on any social media site you can imagine, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, for example, anything. TCU and SMU fans do not like each other. You know, you had the, I think it was the AD, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, talking about how SMU is the only premier team in a premier conference for XYZ thing. Some very hyper-specific stat line or quote. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about, Derek, but TCU is going to win this game by more than seven points. I would stamp TCU minus seven. Hey, and Joe, this is going to be a future Big 12 ACC matchup here. That's right. Hey, that's exactly right. I've, that's exactly what I've seen. I've seen a lot of, hey, we got the premier conference offer. We're in the ACC now, rather than just trying to go to the Big 12, have some, some of that conversation. TCU is going to destroy this matchup. SMU is not a good enough team to keep it below seven points. That's kind of how I feel about this one. Do you have any other games you look at and you say, this is a locker, you're feeling pretty confident about some games, most games, one game, where you stand on that front? You know, I'm not really sure. I, I think Texas Tech minus three might be another one. You might meant to be a bad idea. Throw a little bit of cash at that one. Uh, you know, I mentioned I, I'm staying away from the Texas line and I'm staying away from the Houston line because I just don't know what's going to happen uh, in those two games. I guess another one maybe you could say would be Kansas State covering its UCF. I could see maybe Kansas State covering depending on the health of Will Howard, as you mentioned. But no, I, I'm definitely sticking with Oklahoma. I feel I'm the most comfortable with that pick. And maybe secondly, Texas Tech uh, winning in Morgantown by, by three more than three. I agree. I wanted to check one last thing here before we get out of here because there was one thing about that Kansas State game. These offenses are great. These defensive defenses have had issues. That game's set at over 57 right now. That is a lot of points, Ooh. and I'm not usually one to go jump on the points. The more I think about this, if Will Howard's health is in question, I mean, he got to the point where he couldn't run throughout the second half against Missouri. That doesn't feel like an injury you can kind of climb on top of that quick. I think I'd also stamp the under on 57 total points between UCF and Kansas State. I think K-State's defense has that attitude getting back after kind of, I mean, getting exposed against an SEC team. You're going to go out there and try to compete. UCF's offense probably won't move the football a bunch, but also if Will Howard's banged up, go ahead and give me the under on 57. I'll stamp two for this week before we get out of here, but that would be my final take on that front. And Derek, I will shift it over to you here as we get ready for this final last call for the week four episode going into great things here this week. The Big 12 is going to have a better week. I promise you that, ladies and gentlemen. And Derek, I hope you feel the same way because things are going to be great this week. It has to be a better work. They're all playing each other, so you can only it go also, up from here. <laughs> as long as we win the two games that aren't Big 12 conference games, I think there was a, there's the TCU-SMU game and then Houston. As long as yes. TCU and Houston win, hey, that's an upgrade from last week. No doubt about it, Joe. It was just a rough week for the Big 12. Luckily, West Virginia and BYU were kind of able to save the day uh, for the conference. But again, then again, I don't know how much of it they saved because there was just some really, really bad performances on Saturday. But, uh, hey, conference play is here. Uh, for the fans, you get to focus a lot more on the games. You can watch them a little bit more closely because, as we know, uh, doing things for the website, it can be very uh, tedious and work-heavy work to trying to watch all these games, especially I think we had like nine kickoffs start in the, within an hour and a half of each other this on the Saturday. So it was really, really hard time to try to get to soak in all the action, I think, Whenever a conference play arrives, it's so much easier just from a viewing perspective to try to – you can watch a whole lot more football. 
Absolutely. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you listening here on the Heartland After Dark podcast. Once again, I'm Joe. That's Derek. We appreciate you joining us. If you're interested, before we get out of here, go ahead and consider rating the show wherever you get your podcast at, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you are a podcast listener on. Go ahead, leave a rating and review. It helps us out immensely. We appreciate you once again, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys.